Welcome to Attachment Theory in Action, a weekly podcast presented by the Knowledge Center at Chaddock. Our podcast is dedicated to therapists, social workers, counselors, and psychologists working with clients from an attachment-based perspective. Join host Karen Doyle Buckwalter for an insightful, informative, and inspiring conversation with leading attachment theory researchers and clinicians in the field. Today, Karen concludes her two-part discussion with Lori Thomas on the importance of therapy for foster and adoptive families. Both books discussed in this podcast, The Jonathan Letters and Attachment Theory in Action, are available on tkcchaddock.org. Experienced and proven strategies in the field of behavioral health, straight from the experts at the Knowledge Center at Chaddock. Join Karen Doyle Buckwalter and Josh Carlson for Attachment Theory in Action. This training will feature practical interventions to support your attachment-based clinical practice. Coming to a city near you, visit tkcchaddock.org to learn more. Welcome back listeners and I'm here continuing my interview with Lori Thomas uh, talking to us about what's important for therapists who are working from an attachment based perspective. What are some important things to really learn particularly as it relates to to parents you may be working with in a parent child situation but but really things to consider with with all of your clients Lori. So uh, Another point that you had made, um, we talked about help us as we attempt to help our child, and I think the idea of that is we need support to carry this out. I think, you know, it's, it's sometimes we're so focused on the child that, and, you know, we're very aware, aware of the child's history, very sensitive to what the child's experiencing, that we can almost forget the parents in the shuffle and I think, uh, so to speak, I think that's some of what you were getting at there, and we'll get more into it. Another point you bring out in your chapter is to remember that um, each child has a story. Um, and one of the things I really remember about this, um, before you share what you want to say about it, was how you shared with me in the past many times filling out extensive paperwork before an appointment about a child's history, lots of details, or maybe speaking extensively to someone, um, really feeling like, oh, wow, you know, they're, they're really gonna get my child's history, they're gonna understand all this, and getting there and feeling as though someone either didn't listen or didn't read what they ask you to complete. Yes, yes, and I can't tell you how many times with how many children I had that happen where I filled out so much paperwork as a parent and then sat down and thought, oh my goodness, they are skimming that now as we begin to talk and they have no clue about my child. And that was really disheartening. I know that therapists, I, I understand that from a, from a new perspective now, how busy um, therapists are, how little time they have. But I really like to, because of that, I really like to go over the history orally as much as possible with every new client and their parents, well, with the parents prior to meeting the client. Each child does have a, a unique history. And I think part of my point there was that the, the parent needs to know that the therapist has, has heard their child's story and, and understands a little bit that this is a unique, special child, everyone is a special child. And another is that one child with an attachment disorder does not look like another child with an attachment disorder. There's so many other pieces. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I would hate to think that we might 
treat everyone identically, but instead there's going to be other parts of the puzzle that we need to consider with each child and with each parent. Yeah, so I think what I hear you saying is, you know, you can't just, a therapist can't say, you know, I am a specialist on such and such diagnosis, and this is kind of how I work. That's just what we do. I mean, there's a piece of that, of course. We, we do all hopefully get trained in various evidence-based models and are keeping up with things in the literature that are proving to be effective in helping children and families. At the same time, we really have to individualize it. And I guess what I hear from that too, Lori, is if you're not going to read all this, don't ask me to fill it all out. And then we just need to take time to talk about it in the session. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and then you add here and each parent has a story and, you know, we've already touched on this a little bit, but each parent comes from unique childhood experiences. Um, What, what else um, would, would you want to add to that? Um, Well, I think this is a a great place to talk about the fact that parents have their own histories and some parents are coming in with unresolved trauma of their their own. And, um, you know, um, there's so many different tools that that might be worth looking at at this point, even doing the adult attachment inventory or some other work with the parent, depending on what's going on. And certainly as a parent myself, I was at that point where I needed somebody to come alongside me and do that work with me so I could understand what I was doing parenting my, parenting my children. Um, but even, even aside from that, just knowing a little bit about the parent and, and their temperament and how that works with the child is important. I think that we look at each at each parent, at each child, and then at the interactions and how that's working. And it's going to be different with every case. And I think we just have to take that into consideration as we work with them. I want the parents who come to me to know that they can share their story and be safe. I want to be a secure base for them as well as help them to be for their child. I love this line in your chapter, Lori. It says, (laughs) sometimes we need some prompting as parents to realize what is behind our reactions. And what do you think the key there is to help give some of that prompting or offer some wondering curiosity about that without having the parent feel defensive? I think that's what a lot of therapists are worried about if I bring up something about their history or their background or how this could be playing out, they're going to feel like, hey, wait a minute, I was here for my child and now you're trying to say I'm the problem? Right, right. And I think that's a place for some reflection with the parent. You know, I just wonder, do you have any idea where where that came from? Um, Working that way with the parent, letting them know and in my case, it's a place where I can have some self-disclosure here. You know, I, I, as you know, am a parent myself of children with some trauma histories. And I, you know, I explained that to them at that point that um, I remember having some reactions and wondering where they were coming from. And do you have that same, are you feeling that same thing right now? Um, and so we just explored a little bit, completely non-judgmentally, just cur- curiosity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, and I can imagine that it could be easier for some parents to hear that from you because you've been in their shoes. 
possibly, possibly. But I think I think with you know some curiosity and some and enough empathy, we can we can get there. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so um, the next point that you make um, is these connections need to be part of the big picture. Please include the whole family in the process. So um, I, I take from that that um, you're emphasizing the point. It may not just be, say, I mean, a lot of times mom and child are coming to therapy, but there could be siblings. There's often a spouse or a partner there's lots of other folks so um when you you're sharing about um these connections need to be part of the big picture what are your thoughts about that and your experiences and what you'd like to see done differently maybe well i do love to have siblings come in from time to time and be part of a session um they need to be heard too they're experiencing things at home if they have a a new sibling um, or a sibling that's been in the home and kind of, as Michael Trout once said, sucks all the air out of the room, um, it's, it's nice for them to be heard and to know that somebody can validate their feelings and help them to either work on their own healing about having this, this child be in their family, but also on the way that they relate. So just working on the relationship between everybody. Not that that's a, um, a major part of the work, but it's certainly a part of the work that I think is very helpful to have the siblings come in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, it's also can be really helpful if you can, and I, I, I knew this before, but I learned it much more in our in-home intensive program, to see families in their on their own turf, in their home, can often, be really helpful. I think, I mean, it really is an artificial environment that families are coming in when they come to our office and, and uh, it can be valuable if possible to be able to see them in their own home environment. Absolutely. Yes. So we touched on this a little bit earlier, but you have this line here. Um, Believe us when we tell you what we see at home, even if our children do not exhibit these behaviors in your office. Please don't minimize behaviors I describe or try to say they are normal childhood tantrums. Listen to our stories about our child, his behaviors and his interactions with others. It sounds like maybe you possibly came to a session with something that was like really what you felt out of the realm of normal and someone's like oh yeah no that's just normal and that was frustrating I don't know tell me more yeah kids do that you know exactly <laughs> so I think it's so important to know that the parents are seeing things and are sharing it um kids come in to us and sometimes they are putting on their very bravest front their very bravest face and they are holding it all together. And we know that they are probably using all their reserves. And when they leave our office, the parents are probably going to pay the price if they are doing that with us. And um, I, I remember learning this the hard way. I actually had a situation with a child where he was so good in Sunday school. And so everybody was talking about how well he was doing. And the minute I heard how well he held it together, I was worried because I knew that that usually meant that there was not going to be a lot left. 
I made the mistake of praising him in a huge way for being so so wonderful in his Sunday school class and holding it together. And I think that just increased his anxiety about the fact that he knew he couldn't hold it much longer. And um, we had a terrible afternoon. But I, I like make sure parents know that I believe them when they tell me what's in what's going on at home and then help them have a frame of reference for why home may be more challenging than school in some in some situations or in the therapy office that maybe the child is holding it all together and is using all their reserves and so they don't have much left and also maybe the child is starting to feel safe with them and therefore can actually let their, their true colors show in the home. And I think that can happen sometimes too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Certainly um, agree with you there. Um, um, this line too, it's not exactly one of your points, but I just love it, you say. We seem pretty happy and normal until this child entered our lives. Um, and I think, you know, sometimes we can think, I know the way I think about this is when I meet a parent, you know, what did they actually bring to the table in terms of how they manage relationships before they ever met this child? And what am I seeing now that's a result of trying to parent this child um, when it's not going well for either the parent or the child. You know, what, what's what here? Um, and so this line here, uh, we seem pretty happy and normal until this child entered our lives. We were nice and the neighbors liked us. Tell me a little bit more about where that was coming from. Well, I'm, I was writing that in response to um, a child that entered our home and we were already parenting several children and we were, we were good parents. Everybody knew we were good parents. Um, people came to visit us. People invited us over. Our children were relatively well behaved. And then we had a child that liked to pee on the neighbor's, you know, flowers or, or do some other things that weren't, um, I guess, socially acceptable. And so suddenly we realized that we were, um, we were entering new territory with this new child. But part of what I meant by the um, statement as I wrote it was not only were we accepted and seemed okay, but we felt okay. We felt pretty confident about ourselves. And then suddenly we questioned everything because we weren't being as successful this time. And so we were beginning to wonder, well, were the first several children just really easy? Is this us? Um, what, what are we doing that's bringing this about? So we started to question ourselves and, and uh, feel a little bit of doubt about our own abilities. And so it was kind of a cascade at that point, a snowball effect, because then that affected everybody in the family. Everybody was working on incorporating this child into the family. They were getting frustrated. We were doubting ourselves more, and it was just a really we needed a, a turnaround of the whole family system to start to work well together again. And so um, I think what I was trying to say there is that I, we're going to have families that come to us that are experiencing that. Yes. They need to hear again that I understand what you're saying. I, I hear you. And we can work this, we can work through this together. What you're experiencing 
is a response to trauma, the trauma you're experiencing that is related to the trauma that your child is experiencing, and that we can work this, that we do have the ability to work this out. This is going to be okay. We kind of normalize a little bit the, the experience that they're having in being fearful about what's happening in their home. So it's almost like you're saying, you know, we, we weren't perfect, but we thought we were doing a decent job. Uh, it seemed to be working. Our family was functioning, you know, fairly well, no major, major issues. And um, now it's almost as though the whole bottom has fallen out and it, it feels like we don't even know what to do or why. And um, I think I also hear you saying that instilling hope when families feel like that by normalizing it. Like, yeah, I mean, a lot of families do feel this way uh, at a certain point and um, we're feeling that way because I think part of us was wondering what on earth is wrong with us that we would even have these thoughts that were in over our heads or that we don't know what we're doing. Mm -hmm. and, um, and it was it was a scary place to be. And people came alongside us who were able to help us see that there's hope. But what you're experiencing is a typical response to the trauma that everybody's feeling right now. So just not discounting how hard and difficult it is, but at the same time, we, we have some ideas for this. You know, this isn't the first time we've seen this. <laughs> I mean, together we can get through this. I can't tell you how many parents tell me they've had therapists say, I just can't help you anymore. There's nothing more that can be done. Um, and I always think, oh my gosh, what would it, what would it feel like to hear that from a professional person? Um, that would be really scary. It would be very scary. Yeah. yeah, and um, we never had anybody actually say that to us. We did have people tell us things that didn't feel right about what they wanted us to do or, or how we want, they wanted us to work. And so that was almost um, a similar feeling of, of hopelessness, like, well, wait, this doesn't feel right either, so now what, you know? And so it's really important for someone, someone to come alongside the family and say, we can do this. Let's look at this together and to actually hear the parents and hear what they're going through. And you know, the theme that you're emphasizing over and over is working as a team together. Um, now, on one hand, I think it's good for a therapist to maybe say, I'm feeling like maybe I don't have the experience or the training or whatever to help with this, but here's some ideas of someone who does, which I think is a very different message than, you know, I really don't know that there's much else that can be done for you, um, which kind of carries with it the assumption from the therapist, I know all the things that work and they don't work for, in your case. So, you know, I, I think that's very different. Yes. Referring when it's out of the scope is, is perfect. It's a perfect response. Saying there is no hope is a um, is a pretty tragic response. Now, Lori, I think I would be remiss if I didn't tag on to your comment about some people gave you advice that just didn't feel right about what to do. And you and I both know, and it's been on this podcast as a topic before, 
throughout the history of trying to understand how to work with children with significant attachment disruptions. I mean, there's all kinds of controversy around the diagnosis. There's all kinds of controversy about how to really understand this. And there's certainly controversy around the treatment with some of it being very harsh and compliance-based. And I've had parents come to me and say, I feel so guilty now for doing these things. Um, but I, I, I felt like I had to follow what the expert was telling me. They were telling me, if you don't do this, your child will get worse. So I guess what I would want to hear from you for, for even parents who also listen to our podcast, how did you know when to listen to that voice inside and when to go along with what was being suggested? And I could imagine maybe sometimes you couldn't all, you, you're like, I don't know what to do. This doesn't feel right, but I'll try it anyway. I, I don't know. Like what, I think that is such a crucial thing because I think sometimes parents, they stop listening to that voice and that's how maybe really tragic, even abusive things can happen with the children. Absolutely. In the beginning, we were desperate. And when people would tell us things, we would wonder, um, well, is this the only, is this the only hope? So there was a period of time early on where we didn't listen to our voice when we said, okay, you want us to do this? And nothing, nothing too extreme, but there were some things that were more, more coercive than I would, absolutely more coercive than I would uh, recommend or work with now. And yet at the time it was, we, we were parents who just had no clue. And I think I want to say that to parents. You do what you, you do the best you can with what you know at the time. And when we didn't know anything, we did our best. When it didn't feel right, we moved on from it fairly quickly. But still, um, there's a point where we have to look back and say, okay, we forgive ourselves. We can't stand in condemnation for ourselves for not knowing what we know now. Yes. If I knew what I know now, um, then... I would do things differently. And even as therapists, people have evolved over the last 20 years in the yes. work. Yes. And so being able to, to look at what's evidence-based, being able to evolve with it is the important thing. And um, rather than looking with great regret over what we didn't know 20 years ago. Right, right. Because of what you say is so true. The, the information and ideas weren't necessarily out there. I mean, that at some point, maybe that was sort of it. Like, it wasn't like I'm choosing from A, B or C, you know, there weren't a lot of people saying, hey, I know how to help with this. Um, but rather a lot of folks feeling like I I'm, I'm going to all these different therapists and nothing seems to be working. Right. Um, so, um, so getting to some of your final points here, as we begin to wind down, um, if you give us as parents the benefit of the doubt, giving us both respect and a key role in therapy, outcomes will improve. And I think we've talked about that throughout our entire discussion here, but is there anything else you want to add to that? I think we have, we have talked about it a bit already, but I want parents to know that they are not just they're with me. They are the team. They are the, the most important part of the team. And that I am there respecting them in their role as that lead of this team with their child. And they need to feel that. They need to know that they're safe with us. 
when they come to therapy, they need to know that they are that they are really, really the big dog on on this team. And the fact that they're showing up every week, the fact that they are doing this work, even if they don't always get it right, the fact that they're doing this needs to be admired and um, they need to know that. They need to know that we, I appreciate them. I appreciate that they're doing this for their child. And then you have here, if we are at a place where our family is in the process of breaking, give us guidance and referrals to therapeutic help that is needed to stabilize the situation. And I think we did talk about this before, kind of know your limits and what you have to offer and work hard to network and find other places that can help. Is that what you're saying with this one? Absolutely. And there are going to be times when if the child needs out of home help, we need to, we need to know what's out there and what is currently using mm -hmm. um, evidence-based treatment, because there may be times when the family isn't able to maintain and that they may need outside help. And whether it's a, an in-home intensive, whether there's even a, a time where a child is um, faring in a way that requires some extra support of a residential treatment, we need to know what's out there and be aware of what's evidence-based and healthy for that child, just, just so that we have a good referral referral base is in yes that. and Lori this is the seventh of the eight points and it's just uh, really strikes me so strongly as I read this help us get through second thoughts even when we're too exhausted to continue and I think again that's a time when parents can feel a lot of guilt I don't know what I'm what I'm doing here I just give up and I want to come alongside parents and say you know, first of all, you need a break. And this is where I really talk about self-care. And sometimes self-care looks like, looks like we need some respite in here for this family. We need some in-home intensives. We need something else. But also we need to point out to the parents when they are um, exhausted that they need to put on their own oxygen mask. They need to have some self-care and um, get to a point where they, they have it again there are going to be times when they're just exhausted and they need to know that we, that we are still there for them and that we are not judging them for needing to take care of themselves. It's a wise thing to know when they need to take care of themselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, uh, we know our child can get there. As you equip our child and our family to succeed, believe in us. Yes. And I think... This is where I really want a, a parent, a family to feel like they have tools when they're done too. Um, helping them to have those tools, helping them to see their successes and acknowledge their successes along the way helps them to believe that they can do it again. We need to really show them that we have seen the areas where there's been great success. And sometimes they don't see it. Sometimes they're in the day-to-day -day work and a child comes in a week later and we see something that they haven't picked up on because they're so exhausted just trying to do the work every day. And we may see a glimmer in a child's eye that we didn't see. And if we can point that out, I think that can give parents a lot of, a lot of hope when we point out some of the things that we see and, um, and acknowledge that with them. Is there anything, Lori, as we wind up here 
that stands out in your mind as you were seeking support for you and your child and your children, where you just kind of had this feeling, I, I think it's going to be okay. Like, I think we're going to be able to do this with the help of this person. I mean, what, what was like some, um, life preserver you feel like a therapist through to you does anything stand out in your mind <clears throat> so I think the point we just talked about yes for the little things yes I remember um I remember a couple of different people telling me to watch for the little cues and one day I was walking across a parking lot with one of my children and he held my hand a little differently he looked up at to my into my eyes a little differently it was just a little thing, but I thought we're getting somewhere. I see progress in something little, but I think I needed people to help me look for those little things and yes. see those little changes. And those are the moments that make a parent's heart sore when they realize that, hey, there really is something happening here. Mm, oh, that's so beautiful, Lori. Thank you so much for giving me your time today. Um, it's Thank been you. so good. You know, I'm just one of your biggest fans, and I appreciate everything that you have taught me over the years. And um, you have the book, The Jonathan Letters, you wrote with Michael Trout. We have the meditation CD with Michael Trout that, that you did some writing for that. And I just really, really appreciate your time and your honesty and your wisdom here today. Well, I, I appreciate being here. I do encourage, I love using these main points. There's 21 main points that are kind of um, in italics in this chapter. And people who have the book, if therapists want to use those points as kind of a touch point for the parents, it's meant a lot to the parents I've worked with. And it's helped us kind of set the tone for our relationship. So I think it's very helpful. Well, good, good. And maybe we can get some of those up um, with, with the podcast when it, it gets ready to release. Excellent. Well, goodbye for now. Thank you. Goodbye. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Attachment Theory in Action. Please follow our site, tkcchattock.org, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean for future podcasts. If you enjoyed our podcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. For additional resources, training opportunities, and blogs, please log on to tkcchattock.org. We hope you'll join us again as we continue to explore the world of adoption, trauma, and attachment theory. Mm -hmm.